And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What is obvious? For Adam, as he spent countless hours naming all the livestock, all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the heavens, it was obvious that there was not found a helper fit for him. It wasn't until the Lord caused him to go into a deep sleep, to take a rib from his side and form Eve, that it was obvious that at last it was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. For Adam and Eve, after they fell into sin and had to be clothed with the bloody skin of a sacrificed animal, it was obvious what the price of their sin would be. Their feeble attempts at covering their sin with fig leaves was not sufficient. It wasn't until the Lord sacrificed that animal and clothed them with that skin that it was then obvious that it would have to be God himself that would cover their sin. This was obvious, though they did not yet fully see it. For the Israelites, as they wandered in the wilderness and were bitten by the serpents, it was obvious that they had sinned against the Lord. They cried out to Moses, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. It wasn't until the Lord commanded Moses to make that bronze serpent and place it onto the pole that it was obvious who was doing the saving there. By looking upon that serpent, they were healed. They were saved. Here already in Numbers chapter 21, we see the foreshadowing of what the Messiah would come to do. The Israelites saw this, though they did not yet fully see it. For the disciples, it should have been obvious what Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, came to do. They should have seen it. He had told them plainly many times, even here in this text, when he says, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. This was no new information. They knew the scriptures quite well. They knew of the sacrifice that the Lord had to make for Adam and Eve. They knew of the bronze serpent. They knew of the Psalms, that the one who would come would cry out in perfect faith, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones." They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. But it wasn't until a blind man, who is along the side of the street begging, it wasn't until he spoke and was healed 
that all the people saw, the disciples included, that they saw and believed. For the blind man, upon hearing that Jesus of Nazareth was walking by, it was quite obvious who he was, the son of David. He didn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, as the crowds identified our Lord, but son of David. He knew who was in his midst. It was none other than that long-promised Messiah, the son of David. It was not merely Jesus the Nazarios, Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus the Natser, the branch, the branch from the root of Jesse's stump. That long-awaited Messiah had finally come, and he was in his midst. It was obvious what the man was in need of, for he was a beggar, destitute, left to be on the side of the road begging for mere pennies as countless people walked by. And yet he did not cry out for healing. He cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He throws himself at the mercy of the Lord, trusting in his goodness. And the crowd wanted nothing to do with this man. They wanted to silence him. That didn't stop the man at all. He cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. How we would do well to emulate the boldness of this man in the midst of the world that would rebuke us, tell us to be silent, and yes, even tell us sometimes that we can't gather together in our Lord's house. How we would do well to be like this blind man and cry out all the more and be as bold as he is. How we would do well not to give in to the temptations of this age and to not worship as many Christians worship that follow the temptations of this age, but how we would do well to uphold the practices of this divine service, the gifts that have been handed down to us from generation to generation, and to boldly confess Christ all the more in the midst of a world that is going to increasingly tell us to be silent. And as the man cries out for mercy in our text, Jesus stops, brings him to him, and asks a rather obvious question. What do you want me to do for you? To which the man gives a rather obvious answer. Lord, let me recover my sight. The Lord himself, hearing such a petition, grants this request, and he says to the man, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Or better yet, your faith has saved you. He who could not see did see the Lord for who he was. And those who could see did not see the Lord for who he was. The one who came to save This is the last miracle of our Lord recorded in Luke's gospel. 
the last miracle before that son of David would go to Galilee, to go onto Mount Calvary and not be put up onto a pole as the bronze serpent, but onto a tree. It would be here that all would know who he was. For above his head would be the inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth. The same description given to the blind man as he sat alongside the road. The blind man knew who he was, the son of David. And now at the cross, all would know who he was, the true son of David, that long-awaited Messiah hanging bloody and naked on that cross for their salvation, for your salvation. It was obvious for all to see. For those who walked past him as he was being crucified, those who rebuked him, and yes, those who loved him, they saw that long-awaited Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. For you and for me, as we hold up our lives against the mirror of the law, and we look at those Ten Commandments, it's quite obvious where we stand, that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We look at the law and we see our willful inactions and our willful actions, that we have sinned not only in thought, but also in word and deed. And this Wednesday, as we come and have ashes placed upon our forehead, the reality of our mortality is quite literally put to the forefront of our minds. This is the reality that, yes, in fact, you will die, I will die. We will one day return to the dust from which man was made. That is, in fact, not our end. For in what shape are those ashes placed upon our forehead except a cross to remind us that our end is not dust, but salvation? For on that last day, that son of David will come again. He will come and he will raise us, our bodies that are but dust at that point, unless the Lord returns before then. He will raise us from our graves and he will say to us, rise, recover your sight. Your faith has saved you. Come to the new Jerusalem that I have prepared for you. And with those brand new eyes and our brand new resurrected body, we will behold Adam and Eve, Moses, all the disciples, all the saints who have gone before us, and all of us together will behold the Son, not dimly, but face to face. So as we enter this season of Lent, starting this Wednesday, and as this knowledge of our sin is put to the forefront of our minds, let our eyes be opened to the one who has come to save us. Let us come here each and every week 
throw ourselves at the Lord's mercy. Let him come to us and give to us that forgiveness that was bought with his holy and precious blood. A blessed Quinquagesima Sunday to you and a blessed Lenten season ahead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.